I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome along to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Kevin Byrne. Today, I'm delighted to say we're joined by an old friend of mine from the land of the salted breeze, a man who's been instrumental to so many boxing success stories out west, and a man who's been in a rocky road of his own in recent years, as he researched and wrote a new book about his father, entitled Henry Coyle, a Forgotten Freedom Fighter. Jerry Coyle, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kevin. Great to be on. A privilege to have you, Jerry. Um, it has been a, it has been a long couple of years. You've been researching this book about your father for 20 years. Almost as long as you've been involved in boxing. <laughs> I had a bit of hair back then. I wasn't very involved. Ah, yeah, it's been a long, it's been a long story, but uh, I'm glad it's done, and I'm glad I've done it because you know it's an amazing tale, really. Uh, it's hard to believe it, but my father was uh, a gun runner for Michael Collins, and he was one of the people that carried his coffin when he was when he was dead. God rest him. God rest them all. Now they're gone to their eternal glory. And uh, it has been uh, it, the story of Henry Coyle. He's the same name as my brother and my son. You know, there's a long line of Henrys in the family. I think there's six or seven between all the ones in it. And uh, it's the respect that we had for the original Henry Coyle that so many of its offspring was named after him because uh, he deserved that respect because he gave respect to others. He was involved in a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. You know, when I started researching this book, and like my father was 63 when I was born, so he was 70 when I got to know him. And uh, the, the man I knew as my father was an absolute gentleman, quite pleasant man, wouldn't make no trouble, wouldn't raise his voice, you know, real, real family man. My mother was 22 years younger than His first wife actually was from. Scotland and she died in Scotland. Uh, they were married there in 1922. And actually, his first wedding made the New York Times because it was the first time the Irish Army uniform was worn outside Ireland. And uh, on that occasion, he was presented with a silver teapot, which anyone that is interested in history, it's item number 14 in the GPO Museum in Dublin. Any of your listeners are down there. So I suppose. Uh, the man I have researched didn't bear any resemblance whatsoever to the Rindigate Republican that was travelling through England with loads of jelly night and guns and ammunition and sending it over here to fight in the War of Independence. 
Yeah. But unlike some, I suppose, veterans of of that time and that era, he was willing to speak about, you know, what he'd been through. He did tell you stories as you're growing up. I had a fascination with new gadgets and gadgetry since I was very young, like even clocks, what made them work, what made different things work, how machines work. And there was an old tape recorder here that my brother, Willie, who people will know, he's the man that's on YouTube there singing songs about his county mayo and the boys from the county mayo. He's well known throughout England and Ireland. And uh, he brought home an old tape recorder. And, you know, it was broke and it wasn't recording or something, but he got it anyway at some place in England. It was here in the house and you could play tapes on it, but you couldn't make it record. But I figured out how to get it working back on. And when I was about 14 or 15, I started taping the stories from my father because I knew his story was different than the other fathers around, you know. So I started taping the story. And like, none of this would have been possible without my wonderful mother who came from the little village of Doreel and Billy Croyle, Molly Ginty Coyle. She was a major influence on him as well because, you know, she turned his life around after he'd been through some traumatic experiences. He was caught in England with the largest amount of explosives ever found on the British mainland. At the time, I don't know, was it surpassed since, but like, like in every war, it can't be fought without guns and ammunition and stuff like that. And he was, seems to be in Collins' right-handed man over there, reporting directly to him. And in the writing of Seamus Reader, he seems to think that Henry Coyle was on Collins' intelligence committee. And, um, after the Black and Tans killed the people in Crow Park in uh, November 1920, the following Saturday night, they burned 18 warehouses in Liverpool in retaliation. Well, I wouldn't say in retaliation for that, but it was in retaliation for the Black and Tans burning the towns and villages over here. That's what he said. Now, it might have been speeded up because of what happened in Dublin. I don't know. But it was certainly planned before the Dublin uh, outrages happened. You know, but I do want to acknowledge too you know, like in all wars, people were hurt by his actions. And, you know, you can't just glorify something. Uh, would I have agreed with him on what he was doing? I don't know. I was never in the position he was put in. He came from complete poverty when he was 13 or 14 years old. He was over in Scotland with his father, as they say, the Totty Hawkers, some of your listeners might know, mostly from Donegal. Donegal, Donegal yeah. Right along, down along the western coast. And he was over there at 13, 14 years old. Slavish work. There was girls over there too, mind you, that was uh, abandoned by the state. And, you know, even in later years, people forget the contribution these immigrants made to Ireland. From 1939 to 1969, almost £3 billion was returned to Ireland by way of wire and telegraph. Now, I can say to you on your podcast today, without fear of contradiction, that the same or more came by way of cash and check. And, you know, I remember when we were young, my older siblings were gone by the time I could remember them. I, I was six years old when I realized the two older brothers that used to come at Christmas with my brothers. People mightn't realize the poverty in this part of the world and things, you know, we were a long way from, from every place. And uh, it was sad, really, but, you know, there isn't a thing in my upbringing I would change. You know, we mightn't, I think my oldest brother, Henry Joe, who was a boxer himself, summed it up best. I think he said, we didn't have a lot, but we always had enough. And I think that kind of summed up the situation. How did your, so, father, how did your father first get involved in, um, 
I suppose revolutionary struggle, but rebellion, or did he have a rebellious streak? By all accounts, he was a, a hardy fella. And uh, even in the court, the, the, the reporters are saying that he was a sturdy character. You know, that didn't look much like a man that would be such a rebel. You know, because even the, the picture on the front of the book, you know, it, it's a police shot. It looks like something that would be taken in the studio. That picture I have on the front of the book, Henry Kyle, the Forgotten Freedom Fighter. He went to Burlington Eviction down the road from where he lived, which would be about three or four miles. It's actually in the townland we now live in, in Dulac down the road. There was a woman and her son was being evicted from a house. And three of our children and her husband had died some months previous to that with the 1918 flu. You know, it kind of reminded me again when the pandemic was on and people staying in and don't spread it and all this. And uh, they prevented the eviction and there was what the papers described at the time, a fracture with the RIC. And one of them was knocked to the ground. And uh, two days later, the RIC went to his house. He was identified, as I found out after, as the leader of the group. And they took him from his house, gave him a bit of a beating, and they took him to Belmullet Court, then to Westport. And he was sentenced to three months in Sligo Jail. And that bit is blank then from where he went from Sligo Jail or how he met with Michael Collins. I don't know that, but I've never been able fully to trace it. But I do know that while he was serving his sentence, the magistrate that sentenced him was shot and killed. Magistrate, he was milling in, from Westport. People that know history would know about this. Now, he had nothing whatsoever to do with that. But it seems that the RIC looked back at all the list of people that he had jailed in the previous months and the name of Henry Coyle propped up. And I think they were giving him a pretty hard time. So the next thing I know about him, he's swearing people into the IRA in Scotland. And there's, there's things in the military archives and in the military pensions. And there was a, a kind of a thing done in the 50s where all the people that was involved overseas gave statements to the military tribunal. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And they named, um, they said that he, he was over in Scotland squaring people into the IRA and all that. And he was, as some reports, a prolific gun runner and smuggler of arms and things. And they were taken from Scotland. They collected these, the drill igniting stuff in the mines because there was a lot of Irish people working in the mines. They were up a stick of drill igniting that went into each evening and there was a central place where it was stored. He'd come along to Sinn Féin Motor Care, as he called it. He wrote a song about it after. And uh, he came along to um, collect it. There was a lot of people returning from the 1918 war too, when they had a lot of the, the German Mauser rifles and revolvers and things, and they collected and bought them of them. And they were shipped to Liverpool to a man named Neil Kerr. The absolute well, people that don't know in history and Sadly, Neil Kerr has been written out of history too. He was the man that won the war. Even Collins himself was astounded at the amount of stuff he could accumulate. He worked in the docks in Liverpool and he transported the stuff. My father has even, you know, as I said to you, I taped him. He even said the guns were coming as barrels of wine, even back then. And they were coming, it was assigned as completely different stuff and it was sent over to Ireland and the civil war was won by the Adams and ammunition that came from Joe Vise and his writing said in later years, he said two thirds of the stuff used in the civil war came from, from Scotland. And I suppose it made my father very sad because uh, 
Them same guns were used in the civil war against Irish people. You meant the Irish, uh, the you war of independence a minute ago. And yeah, obviously you kept those routes kept open for the civil war. Or those, those same guns were used then to turn on each other. Them guns were actually used to arrest my father when he came down here to organise the National Army for Michael Collins. The guns, and he even remarked to the man that arrested him, Michael Carroll, another great fighter against the Black Tans. He said, you know, I recognise the guns that you're using here this morning. Mm. Because he would have handled them in Scotland and sent them on. Like, that was a terrible time. Like, and it's no good looking back now. Uh, the, the most thing I suppose that surprises me about the treaty and the whole thing is how much they actually got. Untrained and inexperienced soldiers brought the might of the British Empire to the negotiating table. They were negotiated by untrained and inexperienced negotiators. And they got the 26 counties. Now, Henry Coyle knew, the same as Collins knew, that the only way to get it all was taking the 26 first. And he made no bones about it in later years, even in his writings and things. He said, you know, we, we were out of guns. We were out down to the last few bullets. We, you know, he was nearly killed himself two weeks before Michael Collins. He was badly wounded. There was 18 bullets put into a care that they were traveling in Salem, Camden, Lala, up near Swinford. And he left his hospital bed to go to Dublin. And he, there's a picture in the book of him carrying Michael Collins's coffin. And I'd like to acknowledge, I looked through 2,000 and odd, 2,600 and something pictures. I knew he had carried the coffin, but I never knew there was a picture of it. And I only got that about two years ago from a great fella that puts up stuff there, Darren Conroy. He's in the Michael Collins Historical Society in Leash, and he does a fantastic job. And all of a sudden, there I seen it because I knew he had, he had a bullet mark on his cheek himself and his left arm. You can still see the bandage on his left arm as he goes down to bring the coffin down the steps of the poor cathedral. So I don't think he'll be talking to many more people that their father carried Michael Collins's coffin. Uh, you know, but uh, look at it was sad times. It was strange times for people. A lot of people got hurt. A lot of innocent people died. How long did he serve yeah. in prison when he was caught? He was, he was first arrested outside of Loa in Scotland in the care full of gelignite and guns and ammunition. And uh, within a few days, they had him tied into the Liverpool thing. They knew that the care was repaired in Liverpool a few days before the fire. And there was these reports of a mysterious green care of all cares to have a green Sinn Féin motor car moving mm-hmm. around um, in around... Uh, with two ladies collecting paraffin and two sisters from Cork bought all the paraffin that was used to burn the warehouses. And between himself and Neil Kerr, they bought the bolt, the, the bolt cutters for the locks. And when the fires went off in Liverpool, they soon traced the care back to Scotland. So he was taken to Liverpool and he stood trial in Liverpool first for the burnings there. But although they proved he was there a night or two nights before the fires, they couldn't prove he was there on the night. So he was released again back to the Scottish detectives and he was taken back. And on the 19th of March, 1921, he was jailed for five years penal servitude in Peterhead Prison, the notorious Alcatraz of English prisons at the time up in the north of Scotland. And he was there until the treaty was signed and he got out on the 13th of February, 1922. So he was about two years in total between the, between the remand and the thing. He was never out again and on. He was threatened and he was beaten, but he wouldn't tell them where he got the load of stuff. So 
And were there other it's, prisoners in there as well? No, he was, well, it said uh, on his release again that he seemed to be leading the group. There were, there were, but they didn't get any special treatment. There were penal servitude, there were breaking rock for the peer at, with back breaking work, as they say. The, the thing he told me was how cold the place was. It was right up in the north of Scotland and in the winter. You know, he said in the in the rooms, there was no heating or anything, but he said you, you, a pipe used to go through that had kind of warm it up. There was some sort of steam coming in. And he said you could hear, you could see your breath and you'd breathe it in the morning when you get out of the bed or whatever sort of slab they were sleeping on. But it was tough times and it was tough times for his people at home because they were under a lot of pressure. His full Irish address was given. You know, but his mother seemed to have been a very inspirational woman and he seemed to have admired her greatly. You know, he seen the poverty that grew up and there was actually cattle in the house where he was born when he was born. There was a part of the house left for the cows and people find it hard to believe now. But, you know, then he was, he was, the, he's the only man ever was and ever will be debarred from the doll as well. <laughs> it's that distinction. He was elected in 1922. He was jailed again by the state here. And amazingly, amazingly, what shocked me, the actual trial in Scotland for the conspiracy to bring in the guns was used against him here as proof of a previous criminal career. You know, so I suppose, you know, people have ups and downs. Like, but what I want people to take from the book and from different things is the fact that if you have a few bad chapters in your life, it shouldn't define how you are remembered after or how he had thought about them. Because he might have made mistakes, but he made no mistake as a father. And my mother made no mistake as a mother. You know, there isn't a thing in my upbringing I would change, even though we were in complete poverty, till the oldest ones went away, they sent the money back. And, you know, I'd say, but for immigration, my older brother, Henry, would probably might have probably gone to the 1960 Olympics in Rome. But he, he won the Irish Junior Championship. I was going to tell you that, Father Park came to the village in the 50s and he started a boxing club and they started winning a few Mayo and Connor titles. And my brother, Henry Joe Kyle, went on to become Irish junior champion. But at that stage, he was over and back to England too with his migrant work. And uh, when they were over, he went to England. He actually boxed for England, he boxed for Ireland and he boxed for America. I don't think there's too many in the history books that done that. He, he boxed for Ireland abroad. He was in Sankey's of Wellington. He actually knocked out Johnny Prescott in the amateurs. He boxed Henry Cooper later for the Irish heavyweight championship as a professional and went, I think, the 12 rounds or the 15 rounds, whatever it was at the time with Henry Cooper. And he immigrated to America then. He joined the American army and he was, was supposed to be sent on duty to Vietnam and all that. But uh, he had some problem with a bit of eye trouble. and He was on the, the things, but he, he wasn't sent to Vietnam. But he boxed for the end in, in different parts as well, you know. So the, the boxing goes back a long way in the family. Yeah. yeah. What, did, what did Henry Cooper Sr. do for the rest of his life? So he was a TD for a year. And then there was a court case. I think you said Henry Cooper. Henry, Henry, you led me down that one. What did Henry Coyle do for the rest of his life? So he was a TD for only a couple of months or a year. Six months. Six months. He, there was to be, there was going to be, after the state was formed, my father was always wanting to be a 32 county thing. And he wasn't agreeing with the common Gael government that he was part of. And it seemed like there was some sort of scheme set up to cash checks to pay the soldiers that was not being paid when they were let go when the civil war ended. 
who were being let go from the army. And it's sad that too, you know, people who fought against the Black and Tans and who fought on the Free State side in the Civil War were suddenly being let go. And he got involved in cashing these checks for for £450. He got them endorsed by another man, a Mayo man, actually, that had run in the election against him here, you know. All this is uncovered in the book now. But he was actually sentenced in Dublin to three years in in Port Leash Prison. And that's actually the picture on the front of the book is the police shot that was taken of him that day. Uh, he was sentenced. So he, at that time, you were debarred from the doll if you were bankrupt or if you received a sentence of penal servitude or if you were jailed for more than so many months. But as I said to you earlier, but absolutely, completely amazed me. He was refused a pension then for 27 years. So we were all brought up in poverty again. So he left the poverty and he'd done all this stuff for Ireland and then he came back to it again. So it's a sad, sad tale. You know, um, was he, was he a farmer, Jerry, or what did he work at? What did he work at? Yeah, well, we had three acres. Yeah. And we had a thousand acres of the tide went out. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, you know, that strand kept us alive because we could get pick cockles and mussels along the strand too, which was very handy for a nice, tasty bit of food. Uh, my mother was an amazing woman. He told a judge one time, he said it was his 54th time in the dock. He said, some people might think it's honorable, others may not, he said. But it's my 54th time in the dock and basically I don't care what you're going to say or do to me. But he was never in the dock after he met Molly Ginty. Because she, she kept him right and she kept us all right indeed. And, uh, she was an amazing woman, you know, and, uh, you know, she had some great scenes. I always think about it. She used to say, you know, when you're telling the truth, she said, you never need to remember it because it's always the truth. You don't need to be thinking about what you said or anything. So I suppose it was strange, like, then the boxing came into our lives and the boxing was great for our lives because Henry Joe was so respected, not just in Ireland, but in England and in America. And, uh, you know, he, like my other siblings, Pat, God rest him, he died in April there this year. And they were sending money home to the rest of us. As I said, we, we were the poorest kids in the class, but we were the best dressed with the parcels that used to come from England and America. And, you know, it was the times that was in it. It was sad. But, you know, my father made a wonderful speech one time. He kind of cut loose one time about the injustices that was done to him. And he said, there was only two letters that separated the word justice from injustice. And he said he felt they were applied to him in the court cases taken against him in Ireland. But he said then, he said he bare no ill will or malice towards anyone. And he'd offered them the hand of friendship. And he said he offered them forgiveness because he knew someday he would need that forgiveness himself. It was an amazing, and even the speech he gave in the, in the, in the dock in Glasgow, like, you know, we all heard about Robert Emmett's speech that my epitaph be written to Ireland as free. The speech he gave in Scotland was an amazing speech for a man who got no education whatsoever. But funny enough, in the census of the 1901 census, it said his mother could read and write in both Irish and in English, but his father couldn't, which was very, very unusual for someone born in the family. And I wondered, you know, what his parents thought of their son in uh, Peterhead prison until I came on a letter that was 
that they found when they raided where he was staying. And it was a letter supposed to be from his father. I know it couldn't have been from his father because his father couldn't write. So it had to be from his mother. And she was wishing him good luck on his adventures. It started off, we are glad to know you're still at large. Mm. Because obviously he had written to them. And he, she's advising him to be careful if he attempts to travel to Ireland that they're keeping a close watch out for him. You know, but as I said, that daring rebel was not the man I knew as a father. I knew a caring, kind man to his family, to his friends. People used to come from all over for him to write letters for them. And ironically enough, he was writing letters as proof for other people to get pensions, but he couldn't get it himself. Yeah. You know, which which was sad. But but look at as I say, when I left my home in Gisela this morning, if I was looking behind me, I wouldn't get very far. And you know, as I say, the rear view mirror is small in the car, but the windscreen is big, and that's where you have to be looking out in front of you, not behind you. And it's no good being gorgeous. And I would ask people, you know, young people especially. Young people especially, don't let one misdemeanor or one little thing happen yet to determine your life how it should be. You know, it, it, it shouldn't be like that. You know, when you're reading a book and if there's a bad chapter, it, it, there's loads of other good chapters. Keep reading and keep working on whatever skills you have as a boxer or a footballer. You can be whatever you want to be. You can be whatever you want to be. If someone told you, when I left school at 14 myself, like if someone told you that man will go on and he'll write a book and he'll do this and he'll be in the council and he'll be mayor of Mayo, they'd say, no, 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 no. This, this. And you know, he'll spend more time in New York than the west of Ireland for a couple of years. Well, Boxing has brought you all over, hasn't it? It has brought us all over the world. We've made wonderful friends. We've made wonderful friends. And, you know, I suppose when I take parlance with himself and my son, Henry, like anyone that meets my son, Henry, they'll say to me, that couldn't be the boxer, that fellow that was up there talking to people in Gisela the other night. He's so quiet and placid and everything. And that seems to be the threat. You know, all, all my kids, they, they play football, they were boxing or the thing. And like, they sit here at the table, they're the great crack, but don't cross them when they go on the football pitch. <laughs> don't be across the right of them because they will try it. They will try it and beat you. But we've had wonderful times. Like when you come out in Madison Square Garden or the title fights in, in, in thing. And they're introducing you from the land of the salty breeze. And God rest Harry McCabot. He was the man that brought that to the fore. Because Harry said, Gisela, Gisela, it is in Irish. He said, what, what, what does that mean? And Michal O'Connell that was with me on the day, it means wind and salt. So salty wind. So the land of the salty breeze was born in that little hmm. place in uh, the Inishon guest house beside the stadium there. Uh, many years back in Bedrest, poor old uh, Harry, who passed away this year. I was up at his funeral in Belfast. And like, I have met them legends like Peter O'Donnell, Peter Mullen, Joe Lavelle, you know, Frank Ward, all the people we've met up and down the country. You know, and there's, there's great funny stories. You know, there's, there's, there's great funny stories. We were in, uh, we, we were, <laughs> we were in uh, <laughs> New York, the night Henry Box from Madison Square Garden, like, you know, they played the green and red and mayo when we came out. My God, or maybe the bit in the hair. Well, I had a bit more that time, which stood up on my head. But the, the hair on my nose was nearly standing that night. And, uh, you know, we came out and uh, you, I forget the lad from Kerry now. Frankie O'Brien. Frankie O'Brien was there. He used to be boxing out with Kerry that time. He was at the fight. It was a woeful night. 
Jake Clemato was at the fight and uh, Joe Fraser was at the fight. So we came out, there's a blizzard. I mean, there's a blizzard like there was no blizzard. You know, and I had gone to the thing I had brought, but I forgot to bring a pair of shoes afterwards for going out for the celebrations. So I had a pair of runners with the suit on me after. So we're outside, the snow was up. Frankie comes out. Well, he said, what chance has a carry man who's there to get in the taxi? He said, if Jake Lamata catch on the raging bull. So Frankie had no bit of paper for Jake Lamata, only his passport. So he takes out the passport into his pocket and Jake Lamata signs and Jake Lamata. I was thinking of coming back in the vice at immigration, checking out this, this character from Kerry. But we had great times. And, uh, you know, the, the Eric, I want to mention Eric Donovan too, who retired recently. He gave us great years and, you know, Roy Sheehan. I was away with all the nuts. But I want kids to know, like you have Katie Taylor, you have Kelly Harrington. These are just normal people. Don't think, don't think when you're in the dressing room. I remember when Henry won his first Irish title and he was coming down the stairs after the TV because the youth title he won. He said, you know something, Dad? He said, we had too much respect for them champions. He said, they're all beatable. He said, he said they're all beatable. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I said it before, we, we were in the bowels of Madison Square Garden and we're, we're on the paths. Next door is the legend himself, Andy Lee. And he's in there with the Manuel Stewart. And they crack the two doors are open in and out and we're clapping hands at Andy, you may, oh, you were a devil on the pads and you were this and you were that. I said, they don't work as hard in England as I did or in America. So we had a great laugh and great fun. And then we were out warming up and they were saying who had boxed in the famous venue, Muhammad Ali, Sonny Liston, Rocky Marciano, Joe Frazier. Everyone that you ever could remember as a child growing up, you could hear these, these people telling. And Henry said to me, he said, God, Dad, he said, the shlongs and gisala are up next. <laughs> the shlongs mean people that aren't supposed to know anything. If you're shlonging about, you know, <laughs> about to do your job. But we were there on the night in the Green and Red of Mayo, and we had some great sing songs out in the pubs after, and the Rileys and all the people that brought us out, you know. It, 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 and I, that couldn't have happened without people like um, the McLaughlin brothers, Eddie and Tony McLaughlin. And Jerry Conway, who's from down the road here from us, he knew the McLaughlin lads, and that's how we got on the bill. And it, it was an honor to work with them, too, because they were great people. They were uh, doing your man, uh, John Duddy. They were they were looking after John Duddy, that's Irish right, yeah. folks, all the time. They'd done a great job at John Duddy, and they got Irish boxing back and right. And then we had the privilege of meeting people like Nicholas Cruz, and what a gentleman he is, you know. Didn't you but travel out to didn't you travel out to Cuba with uh, with Nicholas and a bunch yeah, of a bunch yeah, of Mayo lads? There was a program mm. about that. You know, poor Nicholas went through a bit of a hard time there for a while. And look at it was what it was. The Bill Tyson and his friend on a documentary. They actually weren't meant to travel that time. Nicholas went through a bad patch, but myself and Joe Lavelle and Michael O'Connor, we accompanied him to Cuba to see his mother, who he hadn't seen for years, and that was bothering him and all that. She's still alive. She's a woman. She's about 104 years old now. But, you know, it was such a joy. I have the videos of it. If I never looked at another thing in my life, the joy he got and his mother, she didn't know he was coming. And, like, it was just amazing to witness such a bond between mother and son. 
you know, I hadn't seen it myself since my own mother died. And, you know, it was, it was just, it was just amazing. And it was great to be part of it. And, you know, you had this wonderful people like we have Johnny Carey here in the boxing club in Gitala. The man is 80 years old. And we used to be joking him, when you get the free pass, Johnny, it's got health inbox on the Central Council. You'll be up there every week. <laughs> we used to have great fun. And we have Pat McDonough. Pat has done every course possible for coaching and for judging and refereeing and curling, childcare protection courses. And we had James Mangan. We had Michal O'Connor. We had David Timlin. We had fantastic people around us. And now Johnny's son, Dennis, is back helping us again. And, you know, when people get something out of a sport, it's great that they come back and do it. And, you know, like we have now 105 All-Ireland champions in Gisela between boys and girls. We have one from juvenile to senior in both men and women, every title in between, by one, by two, by three, by four, girl one, girl two, girl three, girl four, right up to senior. We had um, Kira Ginty won the World Youth Championship. She got a silver in the in the Youth Olympic. And you have Ava uh, Carabine. She won the uh, European title for us, and she was in the she was in the final of the under twenty twos this year, and she's still on the rage again for this this time coming. And please God, we'll be laying down the old gauntlet for anyone in her weight at the elites as well. She has just won her sixth or seventh. Like my own nephews, you had Pat Coyle, my nephew, won three All-Ireland Championships. Anthony Coyle won seven. You know, but a small club, like, there's something in the salty breeze. We mightn't be able to play football, but we can fight. Yeah. <laughs> like, would you have a big party back in Gisala if someone does, you know, bring one back? Or do they mean more to a small club like yours? Absolutely. Sure. It means more. It means more. It means more. Like, if you, if you go in there into the Gisela Boxing Club tournament and you're introducing your boxer. Like the, the house, you know, talk to the great Phil Sutcliffe and the people that brought fighters down here. Talk to Kenny Egan. They brought boxers down here for us a few times. Like the atmosphere is different. The people come, you know, they don't see anyone for miles. And and all of a sudden in the night, the people come out to cheer on their, their local champions. You know, but sometimes people say, you know, it's a disadvantage. But, you know, funny enough, our disadvantage worked to our advantage because we weren't competing with the swimming clubs. We weren't competing with the hurling clubs. We weren't competing with the rugby clubs. Even though a little girl from Gisela, Clara Barrett, plays rugby for Ireland in Connacht She's only 18, but her father won the title for us. In the village of Gisela, in the village of Gisela, there, that church area there, there is more national champions between, the, we have minor medals in the football and we have school medals from football. Then I'd say any place per head of population in the country. Now that's the big say to me. Like it's a very small, you know, the, the, when Henry won the World Military Games in in uh, in Pretoria in South Africa, he was on the same floor as the Chinese fellas, you know. And you can imagine this Irish fella class. The only thing Henry knew about Chinese was the Chinese takeaway. So the spicy wings. So square ribs. No, no, but it, it, there's funny stories too. We've had great times. But they were asking Henry how many million people was in his city. You have to understand the situation. And he was in 39 houses. 30, 39 million. No, 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 no. 39 houses. No, 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 no. Million people. Millions. So look at it. Great times. Great times to remember. Great things to remember. 
we 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 were sad to tell you the truth with the thing with the Olympics and he didn't make or get his due rights and go to the qualifier, the final qualifier, you know. But the night in Dublin when he won the seniors, you know, the Lord Mercy on Jimmy McGee. There had been a landslide not too far down the road here a few weeks before that, and this was coming up to December. And Jimmy McGee said there might have been a landslide in Mayo, but the, the Gisalabais is called a landslide in the stadium. He said, there's no one going to get into that ring. He said, for another hour at least. He said, don't be looking for them. We don't more boxing out here. He said, for another hour at least. But, you know, we, we had great times. We had, we had the best of times in boxing. And I think, you know, it's the respect. Henry would often say to me, you know, Dad, I could stay in any county in the country, he said and lay down and be in a bed beside people in the morning. He said that we bit the head of each other. But he said the respect was there. And, you know, that's one other great thing and I'd like to mention for boxers especially, and I think people in life should remember. The boxers go in, they beat each other to a pulp sometimes. But what do they do when it's over? They embrace. They embrace. And their differences is left in that ring. And sometimes in life, when we have followed with people, for what? Follow your neighbor, follow this one. Put it all to the side. Put it all to the side. And embrace and shake hands and go out and be friends. You know, as I would say to young people, you know, especially I deal a lot with young people in the boxing that I have, and I kind of try and figure out what's going on in their head, the worries they have, the different things they have. And even Nicholas do sometimes commentary. You have a way. You see, young people especially, if you're going along in a car, and you have a sat nav on in the cab, and you go past the road you're supposed to turn off on. What happens? The sat nav resets, and it shows you a different route. Or it'll tell you turn around when it's safe to do so. So if you take a wrong track in life sometimes, go the longer way around, but you'll get there. You know, you, you will get to your destination. It might take you a bit longer, but you know, I, I hate when young kids come in and they tell me, oh, I'm, I'm stressed out about exams and stressed out about this and stressed. There's always something for someone to do. You know, it's one thing being smart. It's another thing being clever. And, you know, there's a huge difference between education and intelligence. And it's the way you use, you know, anyone can read the book and learn the stuff. But it's, I think the book of life is what you need to look at sometimes. You don't get too stressed out, Jerry, do you? Never, thanks be to God. I never heard the word depression, anxiety, I think, until I was 30 or 35 years old. Never heard it, never heard it in the house. As I said, there was very, <laughs> there was, <laughs> the only thing that was in this house as a sleep attendant was a spade. When you'd be outside working all day, you'd come in and you'd sleep. <laughs> the other thing I, I, I said, uh, even one of the advice that was proofreading for me, he was laughing. I said, what are you smiling about? He said, I said, there was no best before date on the food. I said, it was best to have a date before somebody else did. <laughs> <laughs> that was the way it was at our house. And, you know, we had great times going up. There wasn't a single thing, even though we had poverty. We've seen a lot of hard times. But the one great thing, God rest my mother, I never once heard her complain about the things she hadn't got. But every day she thanked God for the things she had. And having a healthy family was one of them. was one of them things. So... I'm ranting on now about pure nonsense stuff that your listeners won't be interested in. Uh, the, the, the funny thing about the book, when I was reading the bits of the paper and 
They said the leader of the group knocked down one of the RIC men to the ground of what they described as a fracture uh, at the eviction day. And I, when I did find out in the more research that the leader of the group was, in fact, his grandfather, Henry Kyle, I just texted Henry and a little clip from the paper. I said, you weren't the first Western warrior by the sounds of things. <laughs> so somebody came before you, they could throw a punch. Yeah. So look, at we've had great times. Like, as I said about my brother, Henry Joe, he was a great influence on the rest of us. And, you know, when he told me to get the boxing club started, I came back in 79 and I called a meeting and only three people showed up, Dermot Hainahan, myself and Patrick Barrett. And we said, well, we'll start anyway Friday night. And as they say, the rest is history. But, you know, there was another immigrant from up the road upon the boxing. And on Christmas night, 1980, he was back from England up in the village. And uh, he said, I want to support the club. His name was Peter Cosgrove. He was just a few miles up the road. I knew him from coming home from England like the summer and the Christmas, like all the immigrants used to do. He said, I want to support the club. And he said, how much? Do I said, I don't know. I said, what affiliation? I haven't a clue what they was doing the last year. So he put an envelope in my pocket. And I said, do you Oh, he said, no, he said, uh, I said, come over to the club on Monday. We'll take a picture of you making a spot. No, 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 no. He said, I don't want no pictures. No publicity whatsoever. I have only one request, he said. And I said, what's that? He said, every young boxer that goes out here has to be fed before they go home. Whether they want sweets or ice cream, whether they want chips and coke, whether they want curry chips, whatever they want. His only stipulation, and that was something actually we were doing because I came from such a poor background myself before. When I came home that Christmas night, he had put a thousand pounds in my pocket in the Christmas night of 1980. And before I left the pub, he said, I'm going to do the same next year for you. But he said, that's the only stipulation. And I'll tell you, what a gesture yeah. from a man. A man had done well in, in England, or it was it England, yeah. Done very well. He was on the gas works and putting in gas pipes and all that, and he had done well. But he never forgot. And, you know, we, we run the annual racing down here. We have racing, horse racing on the beach here in Dulah. I'm the chairman of that, too, and we have greyhound racing on the beach in the summer for our returning immigrants. You know, just to give them something back for the contributions they made and for the money they sent back to us for kept the roofs over our head. And- we, we were at it on a family holiday in 1994. I remember because I, I can I can date things by uh, goals in football. So Jurgen Klinsmann scored his first goal for Spurs against Sheffield What's Wednesday. What's that? It was on a it, Wednesday that it, No, it was, it was I think my, my audio is gone again, but it was the day that Jurgen Klinsmann scored his first goal for Spurs against Sheffield Wednesday in I think August nineteen ninety four. And that's how I remember it. We were in Gisala in the high chaparral and I was watching it on the telly. What? You couldn't be in about the place because then John Mudley has worked with me on that festival, that high chaparral pub. Now, somebody said to me, how do boxing from the Gisela? Well, I said, we had a pub called the high chaparral where maybe I said, there might be a few bouts without the referee. (laughs) 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 And the Marcus of Queensbury rules being used. But John works with me and he's a proper gentleman. He's still working with me on the festival here. And we do it. And this year was our biggest ever. You know, because I suppose the lockdown for so many years and people. And we... We have had so many different celebrities down there that was with us over the years. 
Didn't you but have Barry McGuigan back to Gisela? Was it after he won the world title or the European? Or? After he won the world title. I'd have known Barry growing up through the thing, and I knew his father very well. And a friend of mine, Paddy Carey, was great friends with his father. Paddy lived in Dublin. And Barry was the champion, and we organised it in February. And he was coming to Gisela in August. And in between the two, Barry got beaten in Las Vegas. The, in, in April or May time, in the heat or in June or whenever it was. But we had the deal done with Barry, and Barry and his father and his brother, God rest him, Dermot, came to Gisela. And what a night that was. What a night we had in Gisela. And the funny thing about it, my son, Henry, who was only very small at him that time, was throwing a punch at him with a boxing glove. And Barry was commentating on the fight on Sedanta Sport when Henry boxed in Madison Square Garden. How ironic is that? That's boxing. That's boxing. Even bringing it, bringing it to another level, my brother Henry Joe knew Muhammad Ali and his brother very well. He knew them very well in Chicago. He often sparred with his brother, Muhammad Ali's brother. And my son Henry was at Muhammad Ali's funeral. I still have the mass locating in there or the, the service that was for Muhammad Ali. It wasn't the mass that we know, but you know, it was, you know, he said the pitch calls were there, this one was there, that one was there. And you know, some piece of history, but uh, you know, the, the, the father heart that started the boxing here was actually team manager of the Olympic team in Rome in 1960. That father heart who brought boxing. And that father heart really is responsible for the coils. The McGarry's were from Paula Thomas, the PJ McGarry's, the Martin McGarry's, all them people that was boxers as well. They came from Paula Thomas. They immigrated to England and America. PJ was a professional fighter in England for a while. And he, I seen him one day knocking down Bunny Johnson in a, in a, in a little club in, in Birmingham. And, you know, we have been around it, I suppose, for years, but we have met wonderful people. We have met wonderful, wonderful people. But, you know, I wouldn't be able to do this, or Henry wouldn't be able to do it, but from my wife, Geraldine. She's the, the boxing widow, as she yeah. called. She named her. She thinks she should be getting the deserted wife's allowance. She said, because there's people that as deserted as I am. <laughs> I never seem to qualify for it, but you know, it, it's 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 we've had great fun. We've had great fun with sport. We've had great fun, but you know, when you know you get bad decisions and things happen, fights and things turn and you get this and you get that. You know, you get the mixed bag. You get it in and you get it out, and you get it up and down. And look at it is what it is. And for a small little village, you know. In the most westerly club in Europe, I'd say we have success as good as anybody. We put it out there, you know. And the, the, the pandemic, though, was tough because, you know, a lot of people and even the boxers, you know, it took them a good while to get back because they were so used to doing this thing with the two fingers and the phone and, you know, watching, and, you know. But as I said one time, there was no smartphones, no smart televisions. There was just smart people. And I think the world was a better place back then. You know, people could make up figures in their head and you didn't need a sat enough to tell you where you were going. You just, we'd go to Belfast, we'd go into the, you know, Jerry story and all the boys and we'd be right down there. And, you know, the same in England or wherever we went to Cork and we knew, we just simply got there anyway. You know, so... One journey you're going to continue to do, I'm sure, is the 198 miles to Dublin, up and down for the next. As long as you, as long as you keep going, you're going to keep keep making that trip. It's 198 miles from my front door to the door of the studio, and you know, I, 
I remember the night, you know, we got the, the club of the year back in 2000. It was the year of the awful bad ice and snow. It was fierce bad. It was even snow down here for we never get it because we're beside the Atlantic. We rarely get snow. But I remember, God rest, Jimmy McGee came in that night. Henry is actually mentioned in Jimmy McGee's last book because he said he introduced him to Mike Tyson in Dublin. You know, he introduced Henry to Mike Tyson the night Tyson was in Dublin. And uh, when he, he, he went up to speak and he said, my God, he said, I was wondering would I come the three or four miles across Dublin in a taxi, he said, to come to this thing tonight, the roads are so bad. And he said, when I came into the fire to the hotel, he said, who did I see? He said, but Jerry Coyle from all places, Gee Salah, he said, was there, and all his gang. He said, is there anyone surprised? He didn't say that they're getting club of the year. You know, and, and you know, it was nice. Kenny Egan spoke that night too when he said how difficult it was like for small clubs. You know, and he, he made the remark, he said, I think in a four or five mile radius of where he was standing, he said there was five or six clubs in, in that area. He said, Henry Coyle has to go a hundred mile round trip to get his bar in Crystal Bell. And he said he has to go to Westport or he has to go to Joel Bell or up to Peter Mullen. And you know, talking about Peter Mullen, Peter Mullen actually boxed Larry Holmes one day. The famous Larry Holmes, the box Muhammad Ali. So the Mayo boys were always ready. And you know, when I think of the list of people that Henry boxed, you know, John Pascal, he was champion at three or four different weights. Andrew, Andrew Burto, that boxed, he boxed Mayweather. He was the yeah. last one to fight Mayweather before Conor McGregor. The last boxer to fight Mayweather anyway, yeah. Yeah, he was the last one, the boxer to fight before he took on Conor McGregor, you know. And, uh, you know, when you think of the names, we have mixed it with and rubbed shoulders, which, in, you know, whether it's Madison Square Garden or whatever it is, the geese salad boys in the land of the salty breeze boys will be there. And we'd, if we don't, we'll have a bit of crack anyway, a bit of fun and a bit of laughter. And that's what life is all about, you know. Well, absolutely. There's, there's nothing prepares young people for life. I always say, if you teach the young person sport, you don't need to teach the adult anything because they get the ups and downs of life. They're not going to win everything. They're going to have some bad nights and then they're going to have the high nights. And that's the way life is. They'll have good days, they'll have bad days, they'll have in between days. But you, you, you push on and you do your best. And what I love to see is, is people like um, Eric Donovan and them that they're putting something back, Kenneth Egan. They're putting it back because they know the life they got out of sport. But I'll tell you what should be done for more and more athletes. You know, you take these lads, they, they're suddenly heroes, maybe someplace. What do they do afterwards? That's a big problem for all sports. Suddenly, there's no one cheering them on when they go out and there's no one, oh, you're great and you won and you lost. And it's the same with the Gaelic footballers, it's the same with everyone. The day comes when you can't do this anymore, what do you do then? And I think a lot more thought should be put into that, you know, and whatever way things are, you know, there should be thoughts of it, you know, they're suddenly in the line like there's people taking pictures, there's people and quoting them and there's people wanting to interview them. And, and that day comes to an end. What are they left? That can be, that can be tough for, for, for athletes. All right, and, and they have given us years and years of enjoyment and it's the same with the footballers. And, you know, Another thing that never gets the recognition they deserve is the volunteers. And the volunteers in the boxing clubs, the football clubs, there'd be no aid in no shape for a briefly, for, for briefly football club. 
Somebody has to go out there and cut the grass. Somebody has to get umpires. And, you know, when Mayo people used to make the annual pilgrimage to Crow Patrick, uh, yes. we make the annual pilgrimage to Crow Park. <laughs> and, you know, these lads give for free. They're giving us entertainment for free. And you pay a few pounds to the gate and you think you're entitled. I listen to the radio here until you do it after Mayo All Ireland. And not alone are the callers managers, they're players, they know who should be played, they know who should be doing this, they know who should be doing that. Nonsense. You know, if if anyone is on that has won medals, I listen to them all day, all day long. Whoever is there that, that's able, you know, who wins the medals, fine. But somebody commenting on boxing on Facebook and things, there's one great switch on the computer and on the phone. You can switch it off. You don't need to be looking at these people that never had a boxing glove on them in their life. Don't let them, young people, such one, no, don't be listening to them. And young lads out playing football doing their best. And these idiots that never kicked a ball, they wouldn't kick a ball over their front lawn. And they're suddenly experts. <laughs> <laughs> you, know what I mean? you, know, yeah, you you put it funny you put it in a funny I think I guess like people in boxing especially and you get it in football too they, they get very offended at non-boxers or non-footballers expressing an opinion but I guess sometimes it, it crosses over into so abuse the headline on the paper and that's only one person's opinion yeah Don't yeah for sure one person's opinion Don't take I it too seriously This is my opinions I have no monopoly on knowledge no more than anybody. Well, the, the best I heard, Jerry, was don't don't take criticism off somebody you wouldn't take advice from. Well, I wouldn't take either. From None of no, them. but you know what I mean. If unless it's somebody that you respect and you take advice from, don't Absolutely. listen to them if they criticize you because it doesn't matter to you. Listen to the people, the Pats Belands, and the people that has medals and has the medals to show it. Not some fella that goes out, you know, never kicked a ball. It's like, and he'll be telling you. Like, Mayo didn't win in All Ireland since 1951. But by God, every time there's an All Ireland play, we should get rid of the county board. We want to get rid of the manager. How many managers have we since 1951? And how many county boards do we have? <laughs> you know, to be on them. I, I, you know, and it's the same with other sports and other things. The great thing about boxing is, though, boxing is always going to win more medals than anything else because we have a bigger choice. You don't need to go to a special school. You don't need to be a fancy fella and nice runners on you and nice stuff on you and be running out in a race. If you come to Gisela Boxing Club with a gum shield, we will supply everything else to you. And if you're good enough, you'll rise to the top. You could be the small farmer's son, the shopkeeper's daughter, the teacher's daughter, the teacher's son. We will try and make you the best you can be. And maybe you'll be good enough, maybe you won't. But, you know, we wouldn't have the Henry Coyles. We wouldn't have the Kira Gintis. But for all the kids that are in there to spare them, that will yeah, never course, be seen. Yeah. The they won't be seen in the limelight. They might never be seen in the limelight. But they have made them the people there by sparring them, by working them, by going in for one round, two rounds of them. And always acknowledge them, them people. And always, no matter how famous if there's boxers listening to this or footballers or whoever, how famous you become. Never, ever, ever forget the people that brought you there in the first place. The man that drove you to that football match, the woman that drove you to the football match, the people that organized the matches for you. And always go back and 
give thanks. And I see people doing that. I see people like Ray Miles, you know, a wonderful character. He's back there and he's encouraging other young people, you know. And Anthony Joshua boxed in Westbrook on it when Pat Coyle, my nephew, was fighting against the English and the Irish to a fight. And young Turner from Dublin gave him a bit of a fight that day too. I'll tell you that. That's right, and, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, Anthony Joshua came in and it's where he was chiseled out for the chisel muscles were on him but I'll tell you young Turner put it up to him and he wasn't being bullied but what I seen afterwards with Anthony Joshua will always do he was down encouraging the other young lads that were going in after him and he was saying look at you know don't be worrying now this is you know it was lovely to see it and he went on to do great things in boxing and all that and you know he still was given back and you know be thankful that you got to where you went and, you know, that road, you know, it's there for everyone, but, you know, there can't be, there can't be too many world heavyweight champions who have fought in Mayo. No, no, I wouldn't say that, but we we put it up to them whenever they come to Mayo. Did Joe Fraser play a concert in Mayo once? Well, Katie Taylor boxed in Mayo. We we put her on in Kesselbar there after she won the gold medal. We had a tournament there in Kesselbar as a yeah. manager. No, I meant world heavyweight champions, but yeah, undisputed world champions. Katie Taylor is ahead of them all. But like, Katie Taylor is a perfect example of politeness. And that Kelly Harrington girl, and I met her a few times in, in the stadium in Dublin. And they're polite and they're pleasant, but something takes over when they go to battle. Like, I suppose it's the inner instincts of survival or whatever it is that makes you go on and say, look at, I'm, 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 like, Henry is the most fun. And I see my own son, Alan, like, when he'd be playing football, he'd be here and he'd be having the best of practice. And the next thing he'd go to, like, it was, it was, it was Helen 11. And it, Gillis, it was yeah. the same. The it, it was the same. And, and Jared was the same. Most pleasant around the table here, great crack. Next thing, we're going to play the football, bang. And they're into this thing and, you know, it's the instinct to win. And, you know, my son Alan puts a lot of stuff back into it in Chicago. He's involved with McBride there and the Mayo lads were there in the summer and had a good time. You know, put out the chimney to hear the played in, in Chicago, a few of them. And, you know, it is, we, we have seen a lot of stuff in, in sport and, they, you know, it has been good and sport has been good to us. And, you know, you have the ups and downs of it. You know, but it has been great. But to all aspiring young people out there today, yeah, listen to someone from the land of the salty breeze as far west as you can go. And if us folks can do it, anyone can do it, no matter where you are, if you try hard enough. But remember when you go in the rain, you don't go out in the rain without getting wet. You're going to get hit. <laughs> you got I miss a few coming back too. <laughs> I miss a certain percentage coming back. But look, we've had we've had good times with the sport. And I know we started off talking about the rebel Henry Coyle, and he was uh, he put his life on the line for Ireland. And uh, that very little thanks for it afterwards. But he was one of the lucky ones. He died here in his own home in Gisala after all his trouble in life. Some of his comrades from Scotland weren't as lucky. And I think in particular of Mick Burr, he actually died in the workhouse in Armagh after spending the best years of his youth fighting against the colonial power that was then had to look after him in his later years. So sad. And whatever way the men were treated, the women, it was appalling. 
You know, and there was one poor woman who wrote and told the pension board that if she had Henry Coyle's address, she would he would verify what she was telling them. You know, they didn't send her his address to verify it. They just left her without a pension. And there was a lot of them like that. And it was sad, you know, when when the elite was in the good jobs, they forgot about the people who done the fighting. And that's the way it was. So anyway, the book is called Henry Kyle, The Forgotten Freedom Fighter. And you'll see a few tracks and there's a few chapters on the boxing. And as I said, one of the chapters, he fought with guns and the other Henry Kyle's fought with gloves for Ireland. So where where can we just before we go, where can where can people buy the book buy the book, Jerry? In all the bookshops in Mayo, it's in all the bookshops in Mayo. But if you're outside Mayo, you can get them on www.mayobooks.ie or Castle Bookshops in Castlebar. Keep putting them out online there every day. And uh, it's, uh, it's, I hope it's good. The, the feedback has been very, very positive from both boxing, boxing fanatics and historians and rebels. <laughs> you know, uh, all, all, all in between. But, uh, you know, at least it's going to do justice to the memory of the man that was completely, in my in my opinion, didn't get the justice he deserved when, <clears throat> when the fighting was over. You know, yeah, was, and if, if you didn't do it, if you didn't do it, nobody would have done it. It was that's the way it was. Yeah, well, that's it. Even my own siblings didn't know the full story, and they were shocked at some of the stuff that I had uncovered from the book. But this, I, I, I want to thank all the great people that helped me along the way, and James Laffey. Sean Lynch and his wife, uh, Lisa Monaghan, actually her son went through a four island title, so she lives in the mother, and she's a, she designed different parts of the book for me too, along with Sean Lynch. And you know, all the people that helped me down the years, and my nephew, Brendan Conway, got rest and life, they gone to the thing, but he died in 2002, and I kind of went off the idea of the book then for a lot of years. I thought the best way to pay tribute to my father and to him was to eventually write the book, so that's what I did. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.